This morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 21. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if you don't have one with you this morning, it's printed for you in the bulletin and would love for you to follow along as we look at that this morning. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, then you'll find the Gospel of John and all the way towards the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. We're going to read about Mary Magdalene this morning. We're going to be focusing primarily on verses 10 and following. But let me begin with this as we get started. Let me kind of take you back to that first uh, Easter morning so long ago. And as we do that, I just want to paint a picture for you. What had happened the night before was that uh, Mary Magdalene and Peter and John had all gone to, to Party City on Epps Bridge, if you know where that is. And uh, Peter had picked up about 30 balloons in all different colors and all different types because he was really excited to see his Lord alive the next morning. Uh, John had picked up um, some signs. Okay, I'm going to tell you what they said here in just a little bit. Some signs that they could hold up. And Mary, of course, Magdalene, had picked up some confetti cannons. All right, kids, if you've seen those, those confetti cannons are amazing. When they go off, just confetti all over the place. In fact, they were so excited and so assured that that morning Jesus would be walking out of the grave that they actually uh, called up and encouraged College Game Day to take their RV and drive all the way there and be present. And if you know, like, the debates that they have right before the games on who's going to win and who's going to lose, and, you know, they're holding this debate of is it going to be Jesus that wins or death that wins, you know, early that morning before the sun comes up, the crowd's behind them cheering with all of their signs. And so the first one is you have Kirk Herbstreet, and, and he starts talking about Jesus and his power that's been displayed in his ministry. And so obviously, Jesus is going to come walking out of that grave very, very soon. So as you know, they put on the mascot heads for who they think is going to win. He puts on the Team Jesus helmet, okay? He just knows Jesus is going to come walk out. And of course, the crowd is so excited. Of course he is. Now, the other one that comes on is Leo, uh, Lee Corso, all right? And everyone starts booing him because he puts on the Grim Reaper hat, okay? And he says, death has got it. There's no way. Death is batting a 1,000. It's never lost. There's no way that anyone's walking alive out of this one, especially out of such a brutal crucifixion that the Romans have concocted. And, of course, the whole crowd is, boo, we know he's going to rise, okay? And the last one is uh, our homebound person, David Pollock, okay? And uh, he puts on the Team Jesus hat, and everybody's cheering because they all know that Jesus is going to rise from the grave in just a few minutes. It had been their anticipation, their expectation, and their joy that morning to welcome Jesus as soon as he walked out of that grave, right? Wrong. Now we go from the thinking about it imaginatively and humorously very seriously. Uh, there weren't disciples that were there with the joyful anticipation that Jesus would rise from the grave. In fact, many of them had come expecting to find their dead friend, Jesus. But risen from the grave? No. And yet we're here this morning because it was an incredible story, even though it started with so much confusion and doubt. And what we're going to see this morning is a disciple that was shattered by skepticism and sorrow. Then she's going to have a life-changing encounter, and she will also have a world-changing message. So let's take college game day out of the picture and all the signs in the background that said, told you so, and let's see what really happened. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the whole passage, but focus 
on verses 10 and following. This is God's good news to us this morning from John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The reading of God's word, which he has given to us because he loves us, and he wants us to know him. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us understand it this morning. The Holy Spirit, you would point us to Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the grave on this Easter morning. Father, would you fill us with joy? that death has been confronted, death has been conquered by our victorious king, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, believe it or not, the college game day RV was not there that morning. We want to start this morning with a shattered disciple. Uh, one of the things that happens in Luke chapter 24, we see it alluded to here in this text early on, is not the disciples coming to the, to the tomb expecting resurrection. What they had expected to find was death. Uh, the women had brought uh, so many spices to come and to cover his body, the odor, the smell that would have been there after days of being dead. That's what they were expecting. They were not expecting to find Jesus alive. They were not expecting to find him doing quite well and victorious. But she comes shattered, expecting to find him dead. And the first thing I would say this morning that Mary Magdalene is shattered by here in this text is skepticism. 
Even a disciple of Jesus who had been with him for years, who had listened to him teach, had watched him do so many different miracles, she herself, even though she had heard him along with the other disciples, declare and predict three times that he would rise from the grave on the third day. She did not go to the tomb thinking he's going to rise from the tomb today. She went from the tomb thinking he's not going to be there or if he's there, he's going to be dead. And notice the evidence. She goes uh, to the empty tomb initially in verse two. It says, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord. So here's the evidence, empty tomb. Her conclusion, someone has taken him, and she says, and we do not know where they have laid him. So not just the empty tomb, but the other disciples, some of them, they see the tomb, the text says, and some of them believe that he's risen. But her heart still says, somebody has taken him, and I need to find him, see where they have laid him. So it's not just the evidence of the empty tomb, the evidence of some of the disciples believing It's also the evidence of of angels, as miraculous as that is here in this text in verse 11. It says in verse 13, when she had seen the angels, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them again, instead of wondering, there's angels here. Why are there angels? What are they announcing? To her, the conclusion is already foregone. You can see it again where she says, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The evidence of the empty tomb The evidence of disciples believing that he was risen from the grave, the angels themselves sitting there, and now not only those things, but Jesus himself standing right in front of her. You can see this, even though she did not know who she was, Jesus says in verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then notice what it says about Mary Magdalene, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away skepticism through and through a heart that was convinced that after such a brutal death that Jesus had on the cross there is no way anybody like that one could survive and let alone after he had died rise from the grave she's shattered by skepticism she will not believe Now, here's the thing. If you were making this up, if you were making the the story of the resurrection up as a myth to try to persuade other people, one of the things you would do is not have a woman be the primary eyewitness in this text. It's not because that's what I believe, because in that culture, women weren't even allowed to testify in court. There's a man by the name of Celsus in the second century. He was talking about Mary Magdalene and and her comment that she had seen Jesus Uh, rise from the grave. And he says, we all know that she was merely a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. Obviously. If you were trying to make it up, to persuade others of something that happened that didn't really happen, you would not have these women be the primary eyewitness accounts. And not only that, you would not have the greatest disciples also be the deepest doubters they would have immediately responded by saying, of course he's risen from the grave. That's what we were expecting. And again, they'd have the college game day sign, told you so, we were ready to put those signs up. But instead, the faithful followers of Jesus, who faithfully walked away from him at the end, are greatly doubting Jesus' word that he would rise from the grave. Instead, what you do is cover up all of their weaknesses, 
cover up all of their fear and announce that all of them had expected to be at the grave that morning with that sign of, I told you so. It's fascinating. Sometimes when you hear discussions about the resurrection nowadays, we can kind of, kind of just think that they were ne- uh, excuse me, intellectual Neanderthals back then. Boy, they would just believe anything. I mean, they believed in magic back then. Of course they would believe in the resurrection. No. It was just as hard for them to believe in the resurrection then as it is for us now. But at the same time, because it really did happen that a woman was the first to get to the grave and to see the empty tomb, that's how they're going to write it because that's how it happened. But she was shattered herself by skepticism. I'd also say that she was shattered by sorrow. You can see this all throughout this text as the theme of weeping is fairly prominent. You see, for Mary, Jesus was someone who had delivered her. Jesus came upon her, and when everybody else would run away in fear because the scriptures say that she had seven demons, she's a hopeless case. Don't get near her. She's dirty. Watch out. Keep your distance. There was one man who was different than all the others who came near to her, and his name was Jesus. And he delivered her. He rescued her. Jesus was her deliverer, and now he's gone. Jesus was also her teacher. In that day and age, most rabbis believed that it was an abomination to have a woman as a disciple. But Jesus, he had women as his disciples. They would walk with him, talk with him, learn from him, which in that culture was such a big deal. And here's Mary, who had not only been delivered by Jesus, but taught at his feet, learning from him day in and day out, and now he's gone forever. He delivered her. He taught her. He was her savior. Some believe that she's the Mary earlier on in the Gospels that anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And he says she loves much because she's been forgiven much. She knew she had not only been delivered and taught, but saved and forgiven of all of her sin. And now he's gone. Or so she thought. And that makes her sad. She was a shattered disciple because of her skepticism and also because of her sorrow as well. And this morning, let's just pause back and use our imaginations once again. If you were writing this story, if you were writing the story, if I was writing the story, how might we write the next few verses of this text? When she is weeping, she is sorrowful, but Jesus comes along. He's risen from the grave. Here's how some of us might write it this morning. If you are kind of the sentimental animal lover type, here's how you might write it. Jesus rises from the grave. He's very excited and joyful. He does a little twirl like this. And then he goes to Jittery Joe's coffee and he gets that favorite roast that he always enjoyed. He sniffs it. And he goes and he sits by the pond and he lets the birds land on his shoulder and he lets the the chipmunks and the squirrels play in his lap and the deer are sitting there, you know, getting a drink of water out of the pond. And he just breathes in the fresh morning air and goes... Right? Maybe that's how you'd write it. I don't know if there's any of you out there, but if there is, hey, maybe. 
sentimental animal lover type, maybe the sports enthusiast, uh, just like the Kansas Jayhawks recently or the UGA Bulldogs not too long ago. Uh, they're celebrating victory. They are the champions, and they come into the arena, everybody shouting, everyone wanting to give them high fives because fives, they have just defeated the enemy. And so here comes Jesus into the galactic arena, okay? He has just defeated death. The entire cosmos is chanting his name while the music of We Will Rock You is playing by Queen. Or Let's Get Ready to Rumble by Jock Jams. Or Let's Get Ready for This. And everybody's going, yes, yes, he conquered death, okay? Or here's the way I would write it, okay? Here's my personal take. My personal take would be not the sentimental type, the sports enthusiast, but the revengey type. Those are the kinds of movies I enjoy. Muscle-bound Jesus would throw the stone as far as he could, basically like a frisbee because it was nothing to him. He walks out of the tomb, he goes to Calvary, and he rips the cross out of the ground with one hand. And he carries it like this over to Pilate's palace. And he sees Pilate sitting on his throne. And like Bo Jackson, if you remember, crushes that thing in half over his knee, drops it in front of Pilate and says, how about them apples? I love that we did not write that story. That God wrote it. And when God writes that story... And when Jesus lives that story, his first act as resurrected reigning king is to find the woman whose heart was filled with doubt and whose face was filled with sorrow and to comfort her. That's his first act as a risen and resurrected king, because that's what the heart of God is like. She was shattered by skepticism and sorrow, but Jesus will come, and now we see that she has a life-changing encounter with this king. Now you look at this text, Jesus comes to her in verse 16, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she tells him again, where did they take him? And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, and then he says her name. I mean, I wonder this morning, what, what was the tone of voice that Jesus had? What was the tone of voice that he could have had? One could have been mild agitation. I mean, Mary's sitting there, standing there with her spices because she expected to find a dead body and him kind of going to her and looking at her with some excitement and then seeing the spices. Mild agitation. Mary, really? You have spices for my body? You weren't expecting me to be raised from the grave? <sighs> Mary. Maybe that was the tone. Mild agitation. Or maybe it was severe frustration. Uh, maybe it was this. Mary, I mean, how many times did I have to tell you and the disciples, three times, let me be clear, on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. Time one. Time two. On the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. Just one more time, so you get it in your thick skull, I'm going to rise from the grave on the third day. You get it? But I guess you didn't get it. I guess you didn't get it, and that's why you're here this morning with spices, 
Mary. Do you hear that? Severe agitation. Excuse me, severe frustration. And the last one could be condemnation. Just teeth gritted, Mary, and then all of a sudden the ground opening up to swallow all the failed disciples because they had fallen so far and been so unfaithful to this risen king. He just wipes them out to get a whole new team, a team, whole new team. But it wasn't mild agitation, and it wasn't severe frustration, and nor do I think it was the tone of condemnation. I think it was the tone when he said her voice or her name of compassion. A tone of voice that was gentle, inquisitive, loving, and kind. Well, where do I get this here in this text? It's actually in other places in scripture. In the Psalms, God will say, I am near the brokenhearted and I will save the crushed in spirit. Mary is brokenhearted and she's crushed in spirit. And so she qualifies to be someone who God himself in Jesus will seek out to comfort. In Jesus' own teaching in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so when Jesus says her name here in this text, she again is shattered by skepticism and sorrow. But it's a life-changing encounter because in verse 16, Jesus lovingly says to her, Mary. He says her name, I think, with enthusiasm and joy, and everything changes. She recognizes who she is. Look in verse 16 again. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher for her. That was a term of endearment and affection. He had gotten her full attention. She knows who she, he is now. She clings to him, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But what happens when the risen king speaks your name? Let me say this, everything changes. Everything changed that morning for Mary. And everything can change this morning for you if you hear him calling your name. I love the distinction that some theologians make. They talk about the outward call of the gospel. It's where just indiscriminately seeds are cast and thrown of the good news of the gospel, that Christ was crucified for our sin, that on the cross he bore our curse that we deserved for breaking the law. And he died the death that we should have died. And then he was risen from the grave, the outward call of the gospel. But theologians also talk about the inward call that's personal and powerful and where Jesus himself speaks as your good shepherd most deeply to your heart and brings you to life so that you will understand your need for him and recognize that he alone is the hope to answer that need. So in the same way that Jesus says, Mary. I love how in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name and he calls them by name. And so on that Easter morning, Jesus goes to her and says, Mary, I am your savior. And she says, Rabboni, teacher. And this morning I can say with equal confidence, if you do not know him, he is saying your name this morning. He is saying to you, I have died the death you deserved. I have risen from the grave. I have conquered death on your behalf. Now you come to me. 
trust in my name, even as he calls your name this morning. It's a life-changing encounter for Mary. It can be a life-changing encounter with the risen king this morning as he himself speaks through his word. Would you receive him? That maybe God has been working in your life. You know that he has been seeking you. You have a sense that he's been coming after you, not to condemn you, but to rescue you. Not to shame you for all of your failure and sin, but to show you the extravagance and enormity of his love for you and his power to conquer death itself. A shattered disciple by skepticism and sorrow, a life-changing encounter, and last, a world-changing message. What do you do when Jesus calls your name? You cling to him. She clung to him physically. You can see this in the text. It's implied. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. In other words, she just got up and was like, there you are. My deliverer, my teacher, savior. And yet it's strange, isn't it? That right off the bat, he says, don't cling to me. What is he getting at? Well, here's the thing real quick. The life-changing message that she has is actually in verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then it says this, and that, she, and that he had said these things to her. Well, what are those things that he said to her? Well, the first thing is this, for her and for us this morning, it's a deeper intimacy that Jesus gives because of his resurrection. He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What's he mean by that? Well, as soon as he ascends to the Father, who does he pour out? The Spirit. And where does that Spirit live? inside of us. I love how Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that our hearts would be strengthened so that Christ could dwell in our hearts by faith. He's saying, Mary, you think I'm close to you right now and you're clinging to me. And I think he loved that. And I know she loved that, the embrace of mutual love. But he also said, listen, if I ascend to the Father, I'll get closer to you and all those who trust me than they could ever imagine. I will live inside of you. I will begin to renovate you. I will give you strength to look to me alone for your salvation. What here Jesus is offering after the resurrection is a deeper intimacy with God himself. Where he doesn't live somewhere out there or that you have access to him at some temple. He lives inside of our hearts by faith. He also gives, by grace, not just a deeper intimacy, but a unique family. You can see this again in Jesus' words to her. He says, but go to my brothers and say to them. You know, again, I often, you'll get a sense of this if you're here regularly, I often kind of go, what could Jesus have said? Go to those failure disciples. Go to the ones who really messed up. But instead, what Jesus says is, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's a unique family because it joyfully includes failures and sinners. Joyfully includes failures and sinners. You know, listen, most of the religions of this world, most of the philosophies of this world have an if-then philosophy. If you're faithful enough for long enough, you can be accepted into this family. If you fail big enough, you will be rejected 
out of this family or never accepted. It's an if then philosophy. If you are good, then you can have entrance. The gospel, what Christ offers after his life, death, and resurrection is not if then, but since then. Since I have fully paid for all of your sin, since I have borne the curse you deserve, since I entered into the death that you should have entered into, and since I love you more than you could ever fully understand, therefore, then, you are welcomed into my family if you simply look to me alone for your salvation, Jesus says. Really what he's saying here in this text is, come weak ones, for there is a father and a family for you full of love and mercy. Come failed ones, for there is a father and a family full of patience and pardon. Come sinful ones like Mary. There is a father and a family full of forgiveness and grace. And that is the message from that day forward that will change the world. She's shattered by skepticism and sorrow. She has a life-changing encounter where Jesus says her name. And then a world-changing message that says, I have seen the Lord. And he's told me of a deeper intimacy and a unique family where we are welcomed by grace. What do you feel when someone says your name? I know if I'm somewhere where I don't expect to see someone I know, and all of a sudden I hear someone say my name, I go, who's that? Who knows me? Maybe they're trying to get my attention. Or maybe it's uh, my wife or one of my kids saying my name as a means of showing me affection. But when we hear our name, we know it's special. That there's someone out there who is seeking us, who wants to be with us. And Easter morning, it was Jesus who was saying the name of a woman who was shattered with sorrow and skepticism. And yet he said, Mary. And he invited her into a deeper intimacy and a unique family. And he's doing the same for you this morning. That's why John will say in John chapter 20 at the very end, he says why he's writing. He says, I write these things so that you will believe. And believing that you might have eternal life in Jesus' name. Would you believe this morning, maybe for the first time and receive that gift of the gospel, or maybe for the thousandth time, who knows, but this morning, Jesus is calling your name as the risen king, and when he does, it changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this text where it shows real disciples really confused and sad and skeptical and sorrowing. And then they saw you really raised from the dead. Holy Spirit, would you allow this call of the gospel, our good shepherd calling us by name, go forth not just outwardly, but inwardly in our hearts, that you would draw us into a deeper intimacy with our Savior and remind us of the unique family we can belong to by grace alone as we look to Christ alone this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.